Good morning. It's good to be with you. Um, we, we started this series, and I introduced you to, to a children's book, Alexander and the Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. Remember that on the very first day? This was my horrible, no good, very bad week. Started, started out okay. We had a, when our kids came in for <coughs> a couple days at the beginning of the week, and that was sort of good, although I had a cold, and then I spent two days in bed with the flu, and uh, then I got over the worst part of the flu, and came to the bad part of the cold, and, and um, I thought, well, you know, I, I can push on through and, and get her going, and then I uh, woke up one morning, and my computer had updated overnight, and somehow it corrupted the firmware that ran my keyboard and everything uh, on, on it. So I spent about a day getting real well acquainted with a Microsoft <laughs> guy out in Washington. Uh, <coughs> I couldn't understand everything that he was saying, but it was... Uh, we, we really knew each other. One conversation was two and a half hours, and finally I texted uh, Floyd and, and Rachel, and I said, hey, uh, I'm going to have to call an audible and do something different this morning because there's no way that what I've got going is going get, to uh, get finished off. So uh, we're going we're gonna to put sandals and robes on and go back in the Old Testament just for today, and then we'll come back to James. I really like what I was going to talk about this morning, but uh, it would have gotten about 10 minutes, or uh, we'd have gotten part into it, and it wouldn't have... They wouldn't have finished. That would have been bad. Maybe not. But uh, <clears throat> so let me let me let me take you all the way to back, and then we'll pick up we'll pick up in our blue jeans theology next week. Uh, how, how's your memory? Uh, uh, okay. I have found that the older that I get, uh, the more I tend to forget. I mean, does anybody have that kind of problem? And it's a it's a good thing to confess it to each other because you know you're not going crazy. I mean, right? Uh, how many of you sometimes have trouble? Remembering people or places or names are the crazy thing. This is a bad business to be in uh, for me because sometimes I know exactly, I can tell you everything about their life, I can tell you about their kids or whatever, what is their name? And, uh, it, you know, it comes to you, but usually what you, when you're in the car driving down the, down the, down the street. Um, I heard about a guy who had a really bad memory, and uh, he came across uh, this, this workshop and, 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 and it, was, it was a workshop about how to be able to have a better memory. And his buddy of his, who knew who bad his, how bad his memory was, uh, met him one day. And he said, you know, I used to have a really bad memory, the guy with a bad memory said. And his buddy said, yeah. And he said, well, you know, it's, it's, it's all fixed. He said, I, I went to this great workshop, and I don't have any kind of problem with my memory anymore. And he said, well, what's the name of the seminar? <laughs> and he he says, well, I'll ask my wife. He said, she, she went with me, and he turns back and looks at her, and then he, learned, he turns back to his friend, and he says, um, what is the name of that flower that has that really long stem and thorns on it and the, the red thing at the end of it? He said, oh, Rose. And he turns around and he says, hey, Rose, do you, <laughs> do you remember the seminar we went to? <clears throat> well, my wife's name is Carol. And somebody told me that that's the songs that we sing at Christmas, so that's how I remember her. Uh, so this, this guy wasn't me, it was, it was somebody else. But I have to admit that as I, as I get older, and uh, we're all kind of moving in that direction, even if you're young and, and getting older, uh, we just kind of forget things. There are some moments, though, that beg to be remembered, that we just must not let get out of our grasp. And so we do things like we make scrapbooks 
Uh, we have picture albums. We have um, walls in our family rooms or in our staircases or our hallways. We've got pictures of, of kids so we can remember what they were like or dogs that we've gone through multiple generations sometimes of, of animals or we set up a carved stone or whatever it might be or we have a we have a box of treasures that we uh, that we have in the attic where we just put stuff in that we can pull out and remember someday because it's important for us to be able to remember now the children of Israel had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years a whole generation had died and they were right on the cusp of entering the promised land that God had said would be theirs. And so they're on the east side of the, of, of the Jordan. But God knew that what he was about to do for them at that point, even though it was going to be miraculous, could very easily soon be forgotten. And so he asked them to do something for him as they took these next steps. Now the priests uh, were to carry the Ark of the Covenant, or it was, was kind of like you could call it a memory chest that had pieces of the past. It had manna, it had the, the, the stones from Sinai, it had all, all these, these it, things in it that were contained inside this chest to help remind them of their relationship with God. They were at the Jordan at flood stage, and what was going to happen was God was going to miraculously lead them across the Jordan River. And the priests were to carry this Ark of the Covenant and stand in the middle of the river. And when their feet touched the water of the Jordan, the Jordan, the river was going to stop upstream. And, and they would stand there in the middle until all the children of Israel and all their people would follow through. And it must have been quite the sight. So that, that's what happened. And all the people in there, their little kids along with them. And I can just see it. Moms and dads clinging on to little hands of kids and camels or whatever else they had going along with them that were helping them carry, carry, carry their goods, their mouths open, just amazed. Um, they were a next generation, not the ones who had seen the crossing of the Red Sea. So this was, this was their miracle, even though that was, their, that, was that, in the, that was the one of their parents in the past. It was the moment that you would think could not be forgotten, or at least should not be forgotten. And so God Ask them to do something to help them to be, rem to be able to remember. And the story <clears throat> that you find over in the Old Testament book of Joshua, chapter 4, uh, describes what happened at this point. It says in verse 1, When the whole nation was finally across, that is the Jordan, God spoke to Joshua, Select twelve men from the people, a man from each tribe, and tell them, From right here in the middle of the Jordan... Where the feet of the priest are standing firm, take twelve stones, carry them across with you, and set them down in the place where you camp tonight. Joshua called out all the twelve men whom he had selected from the people of Israel, one man from each of the tribes. And Joshua directed them, cross to the middle of the Jordan and take your place in front of the chest of God, our God. Each of you heft a stone to your shoulder a stone for each of the tribes of the people of Israel. So you'll have something later to mark the occasion. When your children ask you, what are these stones for? You'll say, the flow of the Jordan was stopped in front of the chest of the covenant of God as it crossed the Jordan. 
stopped in its tracks. These stones are a permanent memorial for the people of Israel. And they did exactly as Joshua commanded. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, carried them across with them to the camp, and set them down there. Joshua erected a monument at Gilgal using the 12 stones they had taken from the Jordan. And then he told the people of Israel, in the days to come when your children ask their fathers, what are these stones doing here? Tell your children this. Israel crossed over the Jordan on dry ground. A pile of big rocks, heaped, heaped, one upon the other to become a remembering place, a protection against the risk that the memory of this moment might, might fade away. A remembering place to be told again and again and again. I want, I want to talk to you a little bit about the power of the past. Uh, how, how important it is for us to be able to hang on that. A school teacher one time uh, told her kids that uh, she hadn't been given uh, a great memory, but instead that God had given her a forgettery. <clears throat> and it was just kind of a gimmick because what she did is she appointed monitors in the class to be able to help her out to remember certain things. And the kids loved to do that, you know, when it was time to change to the next subject or whatever. And especially they enjoyed uh, the reminder when it was 3.30 in the end of the day, as if they needed to be reminded that it was 3.30, but she had somebody to do that. If, uh, if, you're, if you're like me, um, your forgettery sometimes gets into high motion, and you you can forget those significant things that need to be remembered. It's, it's easy to forget even those significant moments of faith. In fact, someone has said the greatest enemy of faith may be forgetfulness. We just kind of fall asleep to the, to the past. We've, we've experienced some kind of a mountaintop experience. Can you think back on your life to some moment when you had this really powerful experience and maybe this is the first time that you've thought about it in a whole lot of years because somebody prompted you to to think about it maybe you cross some kind of raging river maybe not as miraculous as a as a red sea or whatever but god seems to realize that um i don't know that he gave them to us but that we have developed forgetteries for several years my oldest sister lived in in Mexico, my middle sister, oldest sister, lived in Mexico. Uh, she was a missionary down there. She taught missionary kids. Uh, it was kind of like a homeschooling thing for missionary kids, and they would, all the missionaries from all different kinds of groups would come into this uh, Mexican uh, town, uh, city in which they lived, and, and she taught them, and then she married a Mexican national, and she lived there for a long time. They finally, they moved to the States, live in Indianapolis now, and work with a, a Hispanic outreach ministry there, but uh, while she was while she was in Mexico, I kept some of her stuff in, in my basement, and one of those things was, was this cot sort of thing. It was, it was kind of a cot trunk. It had a big heavy lid and kind of a, um, uh, like a, a, a leather uh, a top on it, and uh, my, my grandma, it was my grandmother's, and she had kept it because it was something to remember my grandmother, and my grandmother said that it was in the house where she grew up in, out in the country, and it was near a back door, and the men, when they would come in from having work in the fields, it was out on a farm, uh, they would uh, come in, and sometimes they would just rest on that cot, 
to cool off a little bit before they would come in. I guess it'd be like, you know, we've got kind of the mud rooms or whatever that we have in a more sophisticated way in our houses today. But that's not how I remembered it. It was upstairs in her bedroom, uh, one of the bedrooms, guest bedrooms, in Louisville, Kentucky, where they lived. And when my sisters and I and my family would come to visit my grandma, uh, it sounds kind of weird, but that was where I slept, inside that <laughs> cot. And she kept, she kept quilts. She, was a, she made a lot of stuff, and she kept quilts. And so she had blankets and quilts and stuff in there. And it had a lock on the hinge of the thing, so it would back back up. It wasn't like I was in the box with the <laughs> thing on top of me. But that was when I was real little. And there was, a, there was another bed in the room. My sisters, two sisters would sleep in that, and I would sleep in the, in the cot. So I, I would, I would, that's what I remembered about that. And so when she came back to the States, uh, she wanted her stuff back, and so I put it in a van and drove it. When I, before I did, <coughs> I opened it up because she had used that trunk cot to keep all kinds of stuff in. And there were letters and pictures and, you know, the kind of stuff, decades-old stuff, artifacts about her life and the family's life. And as I, as I looked through some of that stuff, it just brought back all kinds of memories. Have you, have you had that happen? You know, you got stuff that you... You found a box you didn't know was in the attic when you were looking for the Christmas tree stuff or whatever. And we all have those kind of, of boxes. Or maybe it's a, a cemetery and you go out and, and you, uh, you see a carved stone that has the, uh, the dates of uh, you know when your parents were around or a lock of hair or a piece of jewelry or, you know, whatever trigger in a good way there he is for some kind of memory. Holy things, precious mementos that beg us to say, don't forget. There was a risk. God understood that Israel could walk across the Jordan and just kind of relegate it to an attic of, of, of their memory. Just forget about it. And so God said, I want you to mark this moment. And I'm going to do something. I'm going to ask you to do something to help you so that you won't forget. Now, the stones that God asked these men to pick up were substantial rocks. Interestingly, as it's described in the text, it doesn't say they just picked up a rock and carried it out in front of them. It says they, they put it on their shoulder. Now, if you're going to be carrying a heavy rock that's heavy enough to have to get up there, we're talking not boulder, but, you know, something pretty good, pretty good size there that's there. Um, now, it doesn't say that they're anything fancy, and if they were rocks that were out in the middle of the river, they probably, you know how rocks like that are, they're worn down, and they really aren't anything fancy. They weren't asked to carve anything on them. They were just to roll them, which is kind of what that word Gilgal means. They would just roll them on top of each other once they got to the bank. It would suffice just that they would be noticed. The natural occurrence of 12 big stones heaped up on top of each other on the edge of the bank would cause someone who passed by to say, somebody must have put these stones here <coughs> for some purpose. You know, somebody said if you see a, a turtle on a fence post, you know somebody put it there. <laughs> well, it's not exactly the same thing, but, you know, it's like, where these rocks come from? So that was the plan, that when it says children would come by here, their children's children would come by in the years to come, they would see those stones and they would ask their parents, what do these stones mean? And in response, 
it would trigger that story about how the parents had walked through the Jordan on dry land. This was the place where God performed his mighty miracle as he led us into this promised land. Have you ever heard someone say that faith is always just one generation away from extinction? Yeah, that's a sad truth. If we don't tell our kids, they won't know. Now, one of the things that worries me most about our time right now is the fact that a lot of kids are not being told about faith. Uh, I don't, I, it's, it kind of makes me wonder then what their generation is going to know to tell the next generation about faith. God understood that faith is something that has to be shared from generation to generation. If it stops with us, it dies. Unless God finds some other workaround to be able to get the message there. So I, so I have to ask myself, and I would ask you, what kind of stories are we telling our children? Notice, notice that it was not the stones that were doing all the telling. Now, there, there was a message in the fact that they were there, but the stones really weren't doing the talking. There's a Yale theologian, famous guy named Miroslav Volf, uh, who said that too often we quickly erect a monument to something significant, but then we feel free to follow our inclination to forget and go on with our lives because the memorial does the remembering, in a sense, for us. Think about that. Something important happens. We build a memorial, and we think that takes care of reminding everybody of what it was all about. Memorials aren't just to tell a story. They are to trigger a story. They are to cause us to be able to share something with others about what's happening. Um, maybe they have the book. Maybe they've seen the monument. or They've sorted through the pictures, but they really need to hear the story. The 911 memorial. Any of you been to see that in, in New York City? I mean, it's a, it's a powerfully um, moving place that's there. It's interesting, when I was teaching at CCU, a lot of the kids that I would have in college, and even you know, when I want to tell stories here, I have to, I have to remind myself, there are people that, that weren't alive when that happened. You know, these, these students that I was teaching, uh, some of them maybe a year old or two old, they, they didn't remember it. But boy, we do, don't we? I mean, it's, it's like big in our, in our memory. And so we've created this important place there as a powerful reminder of that. And there's names etched on the stones, and every year there's a reading of those names in a, in a typical way, but it helps for us to be able to tell that story so that the story is passed on in the same way our children need to understand about their faith. Um, it's not just that there's a Bible that sits in your house or that there's a church on the corner, but that somebody has said something to them about these powerful stories to keep it alive in their lives. When the children of Israel were about to be led out of their captivity on the night before when they were in Egypt, they did um, an interesting thing that God had them do. And again, it was for the same sort of reason. They had a, a Passover meal. You, you know what that was all about? Uh, it, was a, it was a time when the death angel was going to come through and kill all the Egyptian firstborn and they had the blood on the doorpost of the of the house. Um, the they 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 had the staff in their hand. They had 
unleavened bread, they ate with haste, they, they had all these different ingredients in the meal that reminded them of things like the bitterness of their, of their captivity. All these, all these symbols were designed to cause their children, when they celebrated it again and again, to ask, um, why, why are we doing this? And to this day, those that practice um, more orthodox traditions of Judaism, or even those that aren't really orthodox Jews, will go and they'll celebrate Passover and their children, not in just some, um, hopefully not meaningless way, but say, well, you know, why is this night different from all the rest? And the parent goes through this process of saying, because this is to remember what it was like when we were, we were in captivity in Egypt and how, how God let us out. And there's that power of, of having something that helps us to remember and to retell a story again and again and again. So, so what are our children and what are our grandchildren and what will our grandchildren's grandchildren have that helps them to remember what God has done? What, what will prompt them with curiosity to say, what happened here? What, what, what's going on? Several years ago, we were doing a significant addition to the church where I was down in the east side at Parkside, and we, <coughs> we, uh, it was a, it was a, a, whole, a whole lot of things. I mean, it was a big change for the church. Missionally, we were doing a lot of different stuff, and we didn't want the people that had been there for a long time to for, forget what, uh, where we had been. In fact, we were changing the name of the church, so it was, a lot of stuff was going on, and so we decided that we were going to create this, what we call a heritage uh, we had three rooms of the heritage room, and then we had this, this timeline down a wall uh, that, that of the hallway there, and it, and it started back, and it had pictures like of the founding document and the people who were in the first tent revival and went all the way through there, and there was a goofy picture of me, you know, so when I, people go by, and, hey, you looked really young then. Uh, but, it, but the purpose of it was, um, well, there were a couple purposes. One, it was to acknowledge the fact that there were a lot of people who had brought us to where we were in that place, and we wanted to celebrate that and put their pictures on the wall. And, but it, it was beautifully done. And uh, we had an older class that had a, a Sunday school class. We gave them the prime class right next to the kitchen because they still had fellowship dinners, and so that was their, their big thing. That class just a few months ago, it was the oldest class. Our, our classes, if, you, if you're around the church long enough, there are certain, if you have an old Sunday school system, there are certain classes they just kind of fade away because the people died. The one before was called Evergreen, and they went on to ever, ever. You know, they were just beautiful, beautiful people. And uh, this class <coughs> was called the Winsome class, and they were a very winsome kind of people, but they finally got to to a health stage of a few a few months ago where they said, you know, we just can't keep on meeting on a regular basis, and so they couldn't. But they had a classroom right there close to the kitchen and right the hallway, so every time they would come to class or they would walk to church through that hallway, they would be reminded of what that was all about. And I hope nobody ever paints that over, or, you know, it probably will. You know, someday I'll go in there and it'll be all gone. But um, I think it's important for us to have memories. We were... We were doing a capital campaign for that, and I, I remember we were, I was interviewing from, we had about one or two people who were charter members, and they were very young, because it was like about 1929 when the church started, and one of the ladies, they were all telling stories. I thought, well, these, these people, when they're gone, nobody's going to know this anymore. So we got a lot of it captured on videotape, and, and, and that was good. But the point of all that I'm trying to say is faith needs to be prompted somehow 
to remember. There's a, there's a memorial we celebrate every Sunday that we just did just a few moments ago when God, uh, Jesus told his disciples before the night he was to be crucified, here is bread and here is wine and this is to remind you of my body and my blood and they didn't understand exactly what that was all about. But he said, I want you to eat this and I want you to drink this again and again and again. And so we do it every Sunday so we don't forget that the reason that we're here is all because of the sacrifice of Christ. It is our memorial, our witness to him. How are we remembering our past? What kind of markers do we have? A church historian, Rosemary Ruther, said there are two things that a church must do. One of them, she says, is to inspire the responsible transmission of the tradition of faith from one generation to next. So when our children ask, what do these stories mean? Then you'll have to say to them, this is what they mean. But then the second thing, she said, the second thing is to open be open to the winds of the spirit by which the tradition of faith comes alive in every generation. Stones are important, but stones are not enough, not if they become so rigid that they block the winds of the spirit. That's an interesting line. It's about remembering the past, but it's about engendering faith for the future. Faith is not just something old and rusty and dusty. It's a living future for the church. The monument at Gilgal was supposed to inspire not a past generation, but a future generation. If the biblical text says these stones were raised and built in a place so that, and this is verse 424 of Joshua, so that everybody on earth would recognize, not just the Jewish people, not the Hebrew people, but everybody, would recognize how strong God's rescuing hand is, and that you will hold God in solemn reverence always. So it's the power of the past, but it's also the promise of the future. Let me just, a few seconds, minutes, I'll finish talking about that. There are some people, there are some people who live all their time in the past. And you probably get tired of those, don't you? Well, back when I was a kid, or this is how we used to do it, or this is... You know, that's how we used to do church or, or whatever, you know, go through all those things. They're, they are people that seem to be stuck, or maybe a um, less pleasant way would be to say they're kind of stagnant. Inscribed over the portico of the National Archives building in Washington, D.C. are these words. What is past is prologue. What is past is prologue. There was a tourist that was going th uh, through there, and he asked his cabbie if he could explain what that meant, and in a folksy way, the cab driver said, it means you ain't seen nothing yet. Now, I don't know why they didn't write that over the portico, but that would <coughs> have been maybe too folksy. Too often people of faith think that the mighty acts of God were only yesterday. Now, be honest with me. When you read the Bible, do you honestly believe that some of the stuff that happened then could happen now? Or do we just think of it as old? And that was then. Do we think about all these miracles of river crossings and sea crossings and manna and all that kind of stuff? Is that only just something of a, of a distant past? Gilgal, this place where these stones were there, was not only a place to remember. They, were, they came back there on a regular basis, at least annually, and they renewed their covenant. It was a place that was a site for remembrance and sacrifice. It was a it was a place where, the, where Saul, King Saul, would be confirmed. So it was a place where they would come and say, on the basis of what God has done for us, 
this is what we are doing looking to the future. It wasn't a stopping place. It was a, a remembering place. It was a pile of stones for what God had done, but a trust in what he was going to continue to do. Even Paul, when he talked about the communion table, when we, have, when we meet here, he says, we remember the Lord's death, but we proclaim his death, what does it say at the end there in Corinthians? Until he comes again. So it's not just the past. It's not just looking back. It's looking forward. When you talk to your kids about faith, is it just nostalgic or is it present and future tense? When you think about what God has done, is it now or tomorrow? Is there any sense of expectation? Do our kids ever wonder when we're telling these stories, I wonder what God's going to do next? Or do we, just, do we just say, well, this is the stuff that's in the box in the attic. It meant something then. I don't know whether it'll ever happen again. After the children rose and walked through the Red Sea, the, their first crossing, it says that was a, an amazing moment. You know, all of uh, Pharaoh and his soldiers all covered with the water. They savored the moment. But in a span of about three short days, they started to get thirsty and hungry, and the water was bitter, and whatever. They started complaining, and their forgetteries kicked in, and everybody said, let's go back to Egypt, and nobody said, nobody, well, Moses and Miriam, but I mean, nobody really got up and said, you know, God just got us through this Red Sea, goodness sakes, don't you think he can take care of our water and our food for, for a little while, so we're just going to trust him and things are going to be good, no, a lot of people just said, we want to we go back, they, they should have thought to themselves, we ain't seen nothing yet. Do you remember that the God of the past is the God of the present? There's a circle of stones over in the uh, southern region of England called Stonehenge. It's, it's out in the middle. It looks like it's out in the cow pasture. I've been there. It's a very, anybody been to Stonehenge? It's an interesting place. We really don't know. There's all kinds of speculation. We don't know exactly, you know, why those stones were raised the way they were. It, it must have had some kind of spiritual purpose, but... For whatever reason, it got forgotten along the line. I wonder how many times we've done stuff like that. Things have happened, and we just don't remember why that was really significant. There's a disturbing description of what happened after Joshua's death. They were faithful until he was about 110 years old, and then he died. And then the record says in Judges 2.10 that another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done. For Israel. And then it says the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. We forget God and we forfeit our future. Both of the later prophecies of Hosea and Amos talk about Gilgal. Places of sacrifices but that had become empty places. They said go to Bethel and sin. Go to Gilgal and sin yet more. Bring your sacrifice every morning, your tithes every three years. Something had gotten distorted they were going through the motions of their faith, but it had become just a pile of meaningless stones. We got a lot of memorials here. I'll close with this. We got a lot of memorials here, and, and many of them are in our nation's capital. And there's one that's really powerful. It was built um, quite a few years ago. It's a simple design. It's a black granite V that just kind of moves, ramps out of the ground. Um, it's, it's powerful. It has etched in it all the names of those died in the, in the Vietnam War. And it's polished so, so brightly that um, if you stand in front of it, 
you can see not only the names, but you can see your reflection in, in the walls. There were 58,000 plus names that are there, and one of them was for Army Private George W. Milan. He was from Atlantic City, New Jersey. He was 22 years old when he was killed in Vietnam. And his death happened even before his nephew was born, Michael Milan. Um, Michael joined the Army because of his uncle. And uh, he was standing at the, at the Mor memorial during the, one of its anniversary uh, celebrations. And he, he did what a lot of people do there. You, you take a piece of paper and you take a charcoal and you rub the name off that's there. And there were hours of recitation of some of the men's names that were there. The designer of the monument, Mei Lin, says it was a vision that the past and the present would meet on the shiny surface of that stone where the chiseled names of the dead would mingle with the reflections of the living visitors. And that young nephew, etching the name of his uncle, did just that. She said, the architect, this memorial makes it permanent what they went through. As long as this wall is here, people will know what these soldiers fought for. They will know what they died for. God, who made us, knows how fragile we are and the fact that we too often forget. And I've already confessed, and you've laughed, and you've confessed that the longer we live, the more we tend to forget. I'll say it again, the greatest enemy of faith is probably our forgetfulness. In the early days of Exodus, God said to Israel, when God, your God, ushers you into the land he promised that their ancestors Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you, you're going to walk into large, bustling cities you didn't build, well-furnished houses you didn't buy, come upon wells you didn't dig, vineyards and olive orchards you didn't plant. When you take it all in and settle down, pleased and content, make sure you don't forget how you got here. God brought you out of slavery in Egypt. Wow, the power of the past, but also the hope of the future. Uh, we've got to keep those things in, in appropriate balance if tomorrow we still want to have faith. Let's pray. God, this is a, <clears throat> a powerful example of your gentle reminder, sometimes a not-so-gentle reminder, that we need to be reminded about what you've done for us. And I pray that hopefully uh, maybe we've dug up some rocks here for us today that uh, we've hoisted out of um, the memory of our past and maybe set them someplace that will help remind us. Uh, create for us those places or those times or those means, however it might be, that will cause us to remember what you've done for us in the past. But God, don't let us stay stuck there. Help us look forward to what you can do for us ahead. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We'll stand up and we'll sing together.